Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm really glad you're here today. My name is Ryan, and my beautiful wife and I, Stephanie, have the great privilege of pastoring Love City Church. And aren't you thankful that we're partners with uh, World Compassion? Isn't that an amazing thing they're doing there? They are working all throughout the world, and we give a large percent of our missions budget to support them. And, uh, and also, just uh, by way of announcement, next, next September we're doing a series called Why the Church, and these are all in your chairs. And if you're your first time here today, I'd love to meet you. Um, there's a little contact card, and the reason we have those contact cards is just so we can get your name and maybe follow up with you, get to know you, shake your hand, figure out how we can connect you uh, to our church or a great church in this city. It's our heart that everyone finds a great house that they can uh, put the roots down and, and have family in and develop a great relationship with people and serve Jesus together. Amen? Amen? Come on, it's a great day in the house of God. How many of you have enjoyed your day so far? Come on, it's been so much fun. Come on, let's put your hands together for Jesse again. We're going to get right into it today just because uh, uh, I want to get into a, a word as we end our eight-week series. Yes, I said eight-week series on the book of Ruth, and it's been so much fun, and God is so faithful to us to uh, speak to our hearts through his word, and uh, it's been a, a great, great series. Um, you know, um, I, have you ever been in a situation in your life where, where um, you felt like life was just starting to kind of fall into place? You kind of felt like, you know, you had kind of had a desire in your heart for something, you'd wanted something really badly, you pursued something, desired something, and things just started kind of falling into place, and it looked as though it was going to happen, and then out of nowhere, you experience a huge roadblock. I mean, like, maybe you're wanting to start a business and things are working out, and then all of a sudden you find out you're going to need a bunch of money to get this thing started, and it was more money than you thought, and it's insurmountable. Or maybe it's a ministry or a relationship, but you find in your life that there's, like, moments in your life where you kind of you grasp it, you kind of see it, you kind of, I think I know where I'm going in my life, and then a massive, massive roadblock comes up in front of your life. I know for me, I, I've experienced this in my life. Um, it was a while back in kind of my late 20s, early 30s, my, my wife and I felt like we needed to transition out of a youth pastor job. I was working in Washington State. We were working there. We'd been there for five years. And the, the tough part about this transition was is that we were transitioning into nothing, which wasn't always a smart, smart idea, folks. <laughs> we had no job. We had nowhere to live. We had really nothing. We weren't making a lot of money. We, we weren't rich people in any way, shape, or form. But we knew that God had called us. And you know what God called us to do? God had called us to plant a church in Calgary. Here, seven years ago, eight years ago, God had laid it on my wife and I's heart that we should start a church called Love City Church in Calgary, Alberta. That was the dream. That was the desire. That was the hope. That was the reach. And yet here I am transitioning out of this job and I have no job, no money. I have no place to live. I've got two young children. And really, this is like the, 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 the bad husband moment where we stepped out in faith and we were like with nothing at all. And once we took this step of faith and once we, we knew God wanted us to do, we realized that there was a massive insurmountable hurdle called immigration because I am from Portland, Oregon, and we wanted to move to Canada. And this massive immigration challenge, I don't know if you know this, costs thousands of dollars and it could take up to 18 months. I know our friend over here, Simon, is now a Canadian citizen. Hallelujah. Come on, brother. And he knows what I'm talking about. So I'm talking to you right now, brother. 
this immigration challenge where we were like, oh my gosh, we did, like we thought it through, but we really didn't think it through. We didn't realize it would be that much money in that time and that long. And so here we are, and we wanted to do it the right way. Unlike Simon, he just came across the border. No, I'm just kidding. He did it the right way too. Like, you know, I wanted to do it the right way. We wanted to go the, you know, through the, the legal terms of becoming a citizen or becoming a permanent resident. And so like we just decided that we were gonna make this work, but we had to spend thousands of dollars and we had to kind of just go on this journey. And where we ended up is we moved back to Portland, Oregon, now living in my parents' basement in my old bedroom that I grew up in. <laughs> now, if you're married at all, you know it's a little awkward to be married in your old bedroom because, um, you know, it's just a little weird. For those of you kids, plug your ears. <laughs> It's just a little odd to be in your bedroom that you grew up in and now you're a married man with a woman in your bed. My wife, obviously, thank the Lord. And uh, my children are sleeping on the ground or on the corner. And I'm so thankful for my parents and for the great benefit and the great generosity they had for us. But I just gotta say, here I am in my late 20s, early 30s, early 30s and I'm, I'm living, living in my, my parents' basement and I know where I wanna go, go but, but I got, got no money, money I, got I got no job, job I, got I got nothing at all other than a little tiny room called my bedroom that I grew up in. Things are looking a little dire for me, and it was a rough season. Two children, no job, we weren't connected to a church, living in my own bedroom. Uh, it was a huge blessing for my parents. Uh, and here I am with these, I had these deep dreams, grand dreams. My dream was, man, I was gonna be pastor in a church when I was 28 years old, and it was gonna be moving and cranking, and God was gonna be there, and law. And then I come out of my dream, and I'm sitting on my old recliner sofa watching kids' television because I had to stay home with the kids because my wife had to go get a job. And here I am home with the kids, and my kids decided to get every piece of clothing they owned and every toy they owned, and they would stack it in the middle of the room, and they would run off the edge of the couch and jump into it. And I would just sit there with my hair like this and a toothbrush in my mouth with a cup of coffee watching Teletoons or something like that. And I just realized that I was probably at the lowest point of my life. <laughs> and yet deep in my heart, I knew God had something great for my life. It was this insurmountable challenge that stood in front of me. And honestly, it was probably the hardest time of my life. We were, we were living on food stamps from the government. We, we made about $1,000 a month. Uh, we would go out to happy hour in Portland. They have really good happy hour where you could have drinks and food for super cheap late at night. And so we would go out and that would be our, our dinner. We would feed our kids macaroni and then we would go to the restaurant and have dinner. We were terrible parents, by the way. It was just a weird season where, where I knew God had something more and I knew that there was these things, but I knew that, that unless God did a miracle in my life, Unless God showed up, I did not have what it took to get to where I knew God wanted me to go. Unless God showed up, unless God did a miracle, unless God did something out of nowhere, unless God came and did something, he caused life from death, he caused hope where there was worthlessness and hope where there was sadness, unless God showed up in my life, I was never gonna fulfill the thing God had put on my heart. I don't know if you've ever been in this place before, I'm sure you have, where you have a dream. Maybe you're here today and you're young and you've got your whole life ahead of you. Maybe you're here and you're a bit older and you look at your life and think, man, I only got a phase three of my life left and I've got hopes and dreams that I haven't fulfilled yet and, and there's this situation and that situation and this marriage problem and that financial situation and oh man, I got this addiction or this habit or this area of my life or I'm dealing with this thing or that thing. And you say, man, just my life does not amount. I need God to do a miracle in my life. 
I remember back to that season, I was sitting in that moment where my kids were jumping off into this pile of nothingness and I was watching Teletoons on TV and God spoke to me. He dropped an idea in my head. He said, Ryan, and I just thought, I didn't hear his voice verbally, but I sensed it in my heart. Just thought came into my mind. Why don't you start a business for small businesses or for churches or nonprofits and help them do web design and graphic design? I said, okay, that's awesome, but I have a theology degree. I have no idea how to do websites. And I kid you not, from that moment on, somehow, some way, God wired my brain to be able to build websites. And from that moment, we started our business. And I stumbled upon um, a, a contract called Haiti Arise. My mother-in-law gave me a video and I got 1,500 bucks for this video that I did for them. And then after that, I, a church called me and said, hey, do you want to do some graphics for me? And, and then my dad had to have foot surgery. And so I took over his technology company's photography company for, for three, three months where I was running the business. And, and then after that, God provided for me that time again. And then, then immigration started coming through and then more money came through. And then we moved to Calgary. Finally, we moved to Calgary and I immigrated Immigration went through and my business took off. And after two years, there were 65 clients in our business that carried my family. I made more money than I ever made in my whole life. It was fantastic. That season was pretty good. God began to open up these doors of opportunity. And it was all these insurmountable challenges that we faced. It was becoming more of a reality. And then we were on a walk one day and we stumbled upon a friend of ours named James. And not this James, another James. And he said, hey, there's a church in the city looking for a, a campus pastor. And he, I said, well, I don't want that. My wife says, yes, we do. And we went and I get there and I interviewed and I got the job. And I was welcomed into an amazing community in the city, a church in the city that's now close friends of ours. And I met many of you in this room because of that season. Many of you in this room today are sitting here because God led us to that moment and then God called us to transition out and two and a half years ago, God put a word on our heart and said, start a church. You got 10,000 bucks in your savings. No one with you, no church, just go start in your house. And we started with like 12 people and my wife and I spent all of our savings and we went all in for the kingdom of God. And guess what? This is what you're sitting in right now. Seven or eight years ago, I was back sitting in a recliner chair with my kids jumping into this nothingness with food in my teeth and drinking a coffee thinking, God, what are you going to do? And God did a miracle. He did something in my life that I believe he can do in your life. My story might not be yours. You might look at that and think, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. But to me, in my world, in my shoes, that was pretty exciting. Maybe for you, it's a marriage that's in shambles. Or maybe for you, it's a business that you've been dreaming about, a ministry. Maybe you're needed to take a face step in your life and you don't know how to take it. And maybe there's sickness in your body. I don't know what the challenge is for you. Maybe it's depression or discouragement or anxiety or maybe you have fear in your life. Maybe there's something in your life that seems insurmountable. It seems huge. God, unless you show up, there's gonna be nothing for my life. I want you to know God is in the business business of doing miracles today. Yeah. Amen. So I want to take you into this journey as we end our time in the book of Ruth in chapter four. What I'm going to do today is we're just going to tiptoe through it a little bit. And this is a pretty cool thought as we end our time together. If you haven't heard any of the messages, we record these in the back. You can go online and listen. We've been it for, for seven weeks now, so I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to, to, to do a recap, but I want to quickly just give you a quick thought of where we are right now in the story. A girl named Ruth was in Moab. She was lost in that place that was a place that didn't know God. A girl named Naomi and Elimelech and their family moved to, to Moab. They moved to Moab, and when they got there to Moab, uh, they settled down in this place that wasn't considered a place uh, of God. 
And here in Elimelech and Naomi, uh, their sons happened to meet this girl named Ruth, just happened to stumble upon them. And in this season, uh, not only did Elimelech die, but their two sons died. So Naomi is now living in Moab where her husband and her two sons died. And now she's got these two daughters-in-law that married her sons. And she's living in a land that she doesn't know where she, no future here. And she's living in this place and she doesn't know what to do. And she's got these two daughters-in-law that are now kind of connected to her. And she gives them permission just to stay here. She says, I'm going to go back to Israel where I'm from in my hometown. I'm going to go back there and live my life there. I give you permission to not go along this journey with me. When Ruth, uh, the one daughter-in-law said, yeah, I'm not going to go. I'm going to stay here. But Ruth made a decision. Ruth made a decision that she was going to leave the life of Moab, leave the life that she had all that time, leave her dreams, her hopes of a family, of a husband, and of children. And she was going to follow Naomi now as a widow and now as someone who was not able to have a family and experience what she always wanted was a, a husband and children and a future inheritance for her. She she had to give that entire thing up and she had to follow after Naomi. And she made this decision and she went back into Israel and she got to Israel and Naomi was pretty bitter because she was pretty upset because she lost her husband, she lost her sons, she's now not going to have any grandchildren. It's a very, very dire situation. And Ruth decided, okay, I'm going to go get a job. So she goes and gets a job. And it just so happens that the job she chose to get, the guy who owned the business was someone who could actually marry her. It was a relative of her, uh, her uh, father-in-law, Elimelech. This relative happened to be someone that could redeem her. Now, in those days, what would happen is the next in line in the family would redeem the property and would redeem the, the widow, and they would now become the, the, the married to that relative, and all the debt would be washed away, and all the, 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 the past would be washed away, and now she would own that land that, that was her, her father-in-law's, and her children would own that land, and there would be a great inheritance for her. So here she does. She goes out and gets a job. It just so happens she stumbles on a job where Boaz, her redeemer, the one who can redeem her, happens to work. She starts working there. They take notice of each other because they're both good-looking folks. Like, hey, yo, I like that girl, but I'm just going to like chill out for a minute and see what God does. And she's like, hey, yo, I like that guy, but I'm going to chill out and just keep working and stay faithful. And she just keeps working and just keeps working and she just keeps working. And then one day, Naomi says to Ruth, hey, Naomi, hey, Ruth, I have an idea. You and Boaz seem to be a good connection. And did you know that he can actually restore your misfortune? So I have an idea. He's at his work party right now. And at his work party, after he parties, he's going to eat and he's going to drink. He's going to be merry. I just want to warn you, he's going to have a good old time. And after that, he's going to go out. He sometimes he sleeps at work. It's really weird. But he's going to go out and generally likes to sleep in the parking lot. <laughs> no, he sleeps inside in his office. And this is what I want you to do. Um, I want you to put on a, a wedding dress. Take a shower. Get yourself ready like you're going to go to a wedding. And I want you to go into his office. And when he falls asleep, I want you to lay down at, just at the edge of the couch. Lay down next to his feet. And when he wakes up, I want you to ask him to put his blanket over you. Now, this is getting weird, folks. I hear Jerry. You know, just kidding. Half of you have watched that show. <laughs> this is a weird moment where Ruth is required to do something that is out of her comfort zone. She's a Moabitess. She, uh, Israelites would never marry a Moabitess woman. She's a widow. She's a woman. 
in that day, she was now disqualified to be in a position where she would be able to be married again. Yet Naomi said, I want you to go and position yourself at the feet of your redeemer, at the feet of Boaz. And he, you're gonna ask him, will you redeem me? Will you marry me? Basically, don't do this girls, guys too. Don't dress up in your wedding outfit. Come to the first date and say, hey, will you, can we get married? I did that to Steph two weeks in. Steph said, I said, hey, what's going on, honey? What, what, do, you, what do you think about our relationship? She goes, well, I just think we should just be, you know, figure it out be friends I said I did not come all this way to be your friend either we're going to go the distance or nothing that's what and she was like okay <laughs> so I was wearing a suit a tux I was like, like no I didn't do any of that but that's what that's like she lays down at Boaz's feet and she's ready to go you know I want you to redeem me I want you to marry me will you take me into your home will you redeem my life will you do this and this is where we left the story last week uh, she's now at home sitting on the couch probably eating some Cheetos after that long night just waiting to see what is up what's going to happen Boaz says I'm going to go and make sure everything that you need me to do I'm going to go do it I'm going to go take care of the details Naomi said to Ruth hey Ruth listen I want you just to wait and see what God does. Wait and see how God goes behind the scenes. When you're just sitting at home, you've stepped out in faith, it seems like an insurmountable challenge. You're believing that God's gonna do a miracle. You're sitting at home and all you're doing is you're simply waiting for God to do what he does best. God is involved in your life. Ruth goes home and she's sitting there on the couch and as she's sitting there on the couch, Boaz comes into our chapter four today where we'll start our journey in chapter four where Boaz immediately in that morning goes straight out to the city to get this thing figured out. Look what it says. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there and just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. Did you notice that? Now I want you to notice something. Normally they would go to the court, but the court was closed that day. The court wasn't open for business. And so Boaz actually went to the court to go try to gather this other individual. Now, you, now there's a detail in this that's very important. When, when, when Ruth laid at Boaz's feet and said, will you redeem me? Boaz said, absolutely, I want to redeem you. But there's one big detail. There's another relative that's closer to me, closer to Naomi that can redeem you before I can. There's actually another guy in the city who has the legal right to redeem you before I can. So I got to go figure this out. I got to go make sure that I can, because I want to redeem you, but there's a big challenge that we face in this moment. There's another person that's in line to redeem you first. So he goes into the city. He goes to the city court. The city court's closed. So then he goes to the town gate, second best option, where most of the people hang out. He goes to the town gate, and while he's at the town gate, he happened, the, the, the redeemer that he's looking for, look at what it says. He just then, like it just so happens that this guy went to the town gate at that very moment just to go out for a walk, and he ran right into Boaz, and Boaz looks at him, and he says, you, you, come here, over here, and sit down. <laughs> I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. And then Boaz went and he grabbed about 10 other elders and he gathered them together. He says, okay, he grabbed all these elders together. Boaz is going to work. He's setting it up. Just so happens this redeemer shows up. Okay, I want you to sit here. I want you got 10 guys that's here. I got some business at hand that we need to deal with today. And look what he says. He says, Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi who came back from Moab? She's selling the land that belonged to her relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. And the man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Now this is a problem. 
okay, God, I thought that Ruth was supposed to be married to Boaz. Now, this is when the moment in your life when you think things are going well and the wheels fall off the cart. <laughs> when you think your life's lining up and all of a sudden you look at what's happening, you say, oh, no, that wasn't supposed to happen. That deal wasn't supposed to fall through. That job offer wasn't supposed to fall through. That relationship that I had that I thought was gonna go the distance, I thought that guy was the right one for me and it falls through. This is the moment in our life when things are going the direction we want it to go and all of a sudden the wheels fall off of our plan. And things seem daunting and challenging. This is the moment when you and I feel like, God, have you forgotten about us? This is the moment when you say, God, I thought you were involved. God, I thought that you, were, you wanted me to be in a relationship. I thought you wanted my marriage to be restored. God, why are we still fighting and arguing about the same old things? God, why does it appear as though things are not going as I wanted them to go? This is the season in our journey when we have to trust in the Lord that when the wheels of our life fall off, God has a better plan. We have to trust that God is involved. Look at these scriptures in Habakkuk 2.3. But these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. And if it seems slow, don't despair. For these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him, to those who seek for him. It is good both to hope and to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So when you're going down the road of your life and God starts lining stuff up for you and you're like, yeah, getting some steam and all of a sudden something happens, just know God is still involved in your life. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't missed a detail. This is all a part of your faith journey, believing that God, you are faithful to do what you said you would do. Somebody say amen this morning. Amen. Come on, God is up to something good. He's involved in your life. So look what happens. Then Boaz said, okay, I got a little more detailed in the matter here. He says, all right. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth the Moabite woman. Now, remember, Moabite women to the Israelites were detestable. That way she could have children, look, listen to this, who would carry on her husband's name and keep the, the land in the family. Therefore, this guy now realizes, if I redeem this land, that land's not gonna be mine. It's gonna be Ruth's. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land, I cannot do it. You do it, you redeem this land. So this man realizes that this is not gonna be a great deal for me. He's thinking about himself, he's not thinking about Ruth. And I love this next part. He's only thinking about his own, his only desire. Now listen, whenever something doesn't work out, I want you just to take a moment and consider this. That the situation that you're in, when the, walls, when, when the wheels fall off, sometimes we think that we know what God wants for us. What you don't realize is that a lot of times, we don't. <laughs> And this person that seemed like the right person or this job that seemed like the right job or the situation that seemed like the right situation. In reality, this guy was only thinking about himself and God wanted to get you out of that season to get you in the place, to be with someone, to be with a business partner, to start a business that would extend the kingdom of God and honor the name of Jesus Christ for your life. Could I hear an amen? amen. So we continue. So, he says, I can't redeem it. You can redeem it. Look what he says. 
Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have brought Naomi, all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Malon, and with the land I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Balon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses of this today. In this very moment, Ruth went from a lost Moabite woman, a woman who is a widow, who is in debt, who is considered and despised in that society. In one moment, she went from a despair to a person of hope. She went from someone who was lost to somebody who was found. She went to somebody who was broken to somebody that was restored. Somebody who was discouraged to somebody that was filled with joy. In one moment, when Boaz stood up and said, you are witnesses that I am redeeming Ruth today. In that very moment, God said over your life, in one moment in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can go from broken to restored, lost to found, from the old to the new. In one moment, when Jesus Christ is involved in your life and you are laying your life down serving him, in one moment, he says, hey, heaven, all of angels, listen up. You are witnesses of this today. I got a plan for this person's life. I got something great for their life. I got something beyond what you can imagine. What you didn't think was possible, today is possible. What you thought was lost, today is found. What you thought was not salvageable, today is salvageable. What you thought was broken, guess what? Today is restored and redeemed and made new because a relationship with Jesus Christ, what he does for your life is he causes the old to pass away and he causes the new to come. And I love this because this Moabite woman, he had full right to be embarrassed of this woman. She's poor. She's a widow. And that day, widows were considered honestly next to animals. Poor, widow, wasn't even in the Israelite descent. Boaz stood up in front of the hole. He got up on the top. Can I stand on this, James? I'm just going to do it anyways. <laughs> Everybody listen up! This wretched woman that no one likes, that no one loves, that's broken and injured, the woman that is considered by society as a deadbeat and a loser today. She is my wife. She's mine. Everything you think about her is no longer true because as my husband, as my possession, as mine, she's a woman of God. She's righteous in my sight. Now she's made, she's made to be a person who can have the promises of, of, of my family and the inheritance of my family. Today, he stood up. He was not ashamed to call this woman who according to society was a washout in the same way he does it for you. Do you know that even in your deepest sin, do you know that in the moments where you are by yourself, alone, doing things you know make the heart of God sad, that Jesus is standing on the top of a, of, of a stage saying, that's my son. It doesn't matter what he does wrong. He's covered by the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where he's gone wrong. It doesn't matter where she made mistakes. It doesn't matter that the divorce happened and it didn't go as you hoped. It doesn't matter that you grew up in a certain way and were abused as a child. I know that's hard, but I want you to know today, in your darkest moment, God declares no shame over you. Many of you stand here today 
and you look at your life and you think, oh man, I'm just not good enough and I'm, I've seen too many things and I've done too much stuff and I've got so much sin and I've gone so far, I've been through a divorce or I've gone through a bankruptcy or I've lost it or I've, I've done that or I'm so angry with God. Listen, I want you to know today it doesn't matter where you've been or where you are at the deepest, darkest place of your life. He still stands at the very top of heaven and says, you're mine, you're mine. I redeem you. I set you free. You have a new inheritance in my eyes and in my life. You are set free. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. You ain't nobody else's. You're mine just the way that you are, not in your perfection state, but in your broken state. I declare today, you are all witnesses of this, that you are my son and you are my daughter. He redeemed us. Come on, look at this. Now, the elders at that moment turn and start prophesying over Ruth. Remember, Moabitess, widow, woman, doesn't deserve anything. Look what they say in this verse. The elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Do you know who Rachel and Leah are? Rachel and Leah were the ones who birthed the 12 tribes of Israel. Rachel and Leah were the matriarchs of our faith, the wives of Jacob. Rachel and Leah were like, like divine, like God-inspired, not divine as in God, but like God was involved in bringing them on this journey. They were massively a part of the Jewish race, the Jewish nation, and our lineage as followers of Jesus Christ. And he just compared Ruth, this woman who had nothing to offer, the same prophetic idea of Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Epiphath. Ephrathath and be famous in Bethlehem. Little did they know that she was going to be the great grandfather or great grandmother of David, whose birthplace was Bethlehem. And guess who else was born in Bethlehem? Jesus. She hasn't even had any kids yet. And may the Lord give you, let your children have fame in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestors, Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. Then we come to this amazing conclusion. Look at this. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. Just for a moment. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. She's lost without God. She's broken. She's distant. She makes a decision that I'm gonna serve the Lord. She goes on this journey of her life, spiritual journey where she stumbles upon the job that gets her to the husband, that gets her to a place where she takes a faith step. And now God's working behind the scenes and now she's married to the man who can give her the very fulfillment of what God promised her. Three deaths in the family, bad choices, famine. She was lost in Moab. She found a great job and now she's married. It's a fulfillment of the promise from nothing to everything. God did this for her. But there's something that you may not know about this story. Maybe you do, but it was a bit of a revelation for me. Think back, Ruth was married for 10 years to a guy named Malon in Moab. And yet they didn't have any children. In those days, it wasn't like nowadays where we wait a long time. Then when you, you got married to have kids, that was, what you, that was kind of your role when they got married, they were supposed to have kids right away, but they didn't. Why didn't they have kids? It's because Ruth was barren. Guys, listen to me for a minute. 
Before Ruth started this journey, God had a plan that she would bear the seed of the descendant of Jesus Christ. This entire journey, she had a little secret that Boaz didn't even know. That she did not have the physical capacity to have children. And yet God called her to be the seed line carrier of King David and Jesus. This is the moment in the journey where they go into the wedding room and she says, so I want you to stop for a minute. God has been so faithful and God has been so good in my life. And I want you to know that I'm so thankful for what we have, but I have a secret to tell you. I am not physically capable. I am not mentally capable. My life is not capable of fulfilling the plan that you have for my life, God. I've got too much stuff in my life. There's too many challenges, God. I am physically unable to give birth to the child that you want me to give birth to. And many of us in this room today are here where we look at our lives just like I started my story and you realize that, man, I know God's got a great plan for my life, but there's something in me that tells me I don't have what it takes. Want to know why? Because you don't. You don't have what it takes. You don't have the greatest mind or the greatest physical nature. You don't have what it takes to fulfill the call of God in your life. But guess what? God does. Amen. Guess what? God is still in the business of doing miracles. Guess what? This entire time, Ruth had to make a decision. I want you to hear me. Ruth had to make a choice. She had to make a choice that I am going to believe that even though my body cannot produce that nothing is impossible with my God. She had to believe that even though my body says no, my faith says yes. She had to believe, she had to make a decision that as a follower of Jesus Christ, God has to do a miracle in my body or I can't fulfill this. God has to restore my marriage or I can't fulfill this. God has to give me wisdom for this business venture or I won't be able to do it. I need a miracle in my life. And I believe that by faith, God can do the impossible. Amen. Ruth had to make a decision. Like it says here in Jesus says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Look at this. Nothing will be impossible for you. Did you see that? Come on, people. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you gotta stop living life like, like, like things are impossible for you. The word here says nothing, no thing will be impossible for you. For those who follow Jesus Christ and those who commit their life to him and those who are living faith steps, you have to understand something. In order for you to fulfill the call of God on your life, in order for you to be the person God's called you to be, you have to have a faith that says God can do the impossible. Amen. A mustard, tiny seed of faith. A small seed that simply says, I believe that my God can do the impossible. Look at the scripture in James 1.17. So my very dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down for the Father of God. Look at this. There is nothing deceitful in God. Nothing tip-faced. Nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all of his creatures. Ruth knew that God had to do a miracle, that God had to enable her. Ruth knew that God had to do something amazing in her life. Look at this, and Jesus again, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I wanna speak this to you 
this morning. You have to believe that our God can do the impossible in your life. You're here today and you've got an insurmountable challenge in your marriage. God can do the impossible in your marriage. God is into restoring marriages. You're here today and you're dealing with an addiction and sin. Maybe it's pornography or, or, or maybe it's gambling or, or maybe it's sex or maybe it's alcohol or maybe it's just a habitual thinking. God has the ability and the capacity. He's alive today to do a miracle in your life. Our God still does miracles today. He can do the impossible in your life. You might be even a religious experience where you say, man, I've never experienced that. I don't know what it's like. God can do miracles. Maybe you grew up in a place that taught you your theology said God can't do it. Our God can do miracles. Our God can do the impossible. 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 For those who believe, nothing will be impossible for you. Our God is still in the business of doing miracles. And he can do a miracle in your life. He can do a miracle in your life. Look at this. And so what happened? The Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. So I end our time here this morning. As we've gone on this whole journey, we've looked at this spiritual journey, and I, you can go back and listen to it. But here we are today at the end of our journey. And maybe you're here right now, and you, you say, Ryan, if you just knew my, my, my mountain, <laughs> if you just knew, if you just knew what I was facing, if you just knew the challenges I was going against, I probably have never been in your shoes, and maybe you've never experienced what you've experienced in your life, and so I can't even begin to maybe understand where you're at today. But I want you to know something, that God is involved in your life. Do you think it's an accident that you're here today? Do you think it's an accident that Jesse got water baptized and invited half of Edmonton? Do you think it's, it's an accident that some of you came today at 10 o'clock because I forgot to change it on the website and you got a free coffee out of it? <laughs> do you think it's an accident that God brought you here? Because if you do, I want you to know you are mistaken. Because we serve a sovereign God who's involved in every detail of our lives and he brought you here today. He brought you today because he wanted to remind you that the legacy that God has for you is great. It's beyond you. It's bigger than you. And it requires great faith. Look at these verses here today. And I want to end on these verses. I want to get this in your spirit. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can see something of the future he's called you to share. I want you to realize that God has been made rich because we who are Christ have been given to him. And I pray that you'll begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. It's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heaven. Look at this. Now glory to be to God who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more, say far more, than we would ever dare to ask, dare to even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, infinitely beyond our highest desires or thoughts, our hopes. Come on, somebody. How about this, 2 Peter 1. For as you know him better, Look at that. He will give you, through his great power, everything you need for living a truly good life. He even shares his own glory and his own goodness with you. And by that same mighty power, he has given us all the other rich and wonderful blessings that he has promised. You came in today thinking, man, life's mundane and life, my life's 
a waste or my life is too far gone. You are mistaken today. God has been involved in your life before the foundation of time. He's been involved in every single detail, even the bad choices, even the terrible mistakes you've made. God has been present in your life. And the God that we celebrate today, the God that we worship today, the God that we lifted high today, that God is a miracle working God. That God can heal marriages, restore lives, break addictions. That God can provide. That God can transform. That God can do something great in your life. That is the God that I'm talking about today. And guess what? He wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with you. How did Ruth get here as I end today? How did Ruth get to this place? How did she get to this place where she fulfilled the plan of God of life? I want you to hear me right now. She made a decision to give her life fully to God. She says, I don't want my way anymore. I want God's way. And it's going to be challenging. And it's going to be difficult. Things won't always go as I planned. It always, all, won't always be cake and cookies. Sometimes it'll be terrible turmoil and challenges. God doesn't always make everything better, but God will help you get through the challenges and the difficulties of your life. And the God that we serve, God, his name is Jesus Christ, and he wants a personal relationship with you, and he has a plan for you, he has a legacy for you, he has a future for you. God's got something great in store for your life, but he wants your decision to follow after him. Do me a favor, would you close your eyes this morning? Come on, you're in this place today. We always pray for two people. First group of people today I want to pray for, those in the room who are followers of Jesus and you're here today and you've got a big mountain in your life. You've got a big challenge. You've got something going on. Maybe there's a barrenness in your life in some way, shape, or form. And today you need God to do a miracle. Come on, if that's you today, on the count of three, I'm not going to embarrass you. All eyes closed in this place today. I want you to raise your hand just for in the count of three. One, two, three. Come on, put your hand in the air. You've got something in your life right now that I can pray for. I'm not going to pull you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to see who I'm praying for today. Come on. Fantastic. Holy Spirit, we pray for these people right now, Lord. Lord, we speak faith into their heart. Lord, I believe that, Lord, the people in the room are discouraged and don't know where to go and don't know where to turn. And Father, we turn to you this morning. We say, Father, our relationships have failed us and our money has failed us and our life has failed us. But God, I'm here today to say you are our last straw. We need you in our lives, oh God. And I speak to every daunting task and I speak to every mountain and we cause that mountain to move that nothing is impossible with you, God. And I pray right now, God, that you would give them a fresh faith and a fresh hope and a fresh joy today to believe that God, you can do the impossible in their life. Come on, would everybody stand with me this morning? With your eyes closed, keep your eyes closed. If you could stand with me, I wanna ask this last question this morning. All eyes closed in this place. Come on, you're here today. And you say, Ryan, man, I love what you're saying. I'd like to start a journey with Jesus today. I want to experience everything God has for my life. I want a relationship with Jesus. You got to choose today if you're going to serve him or not. That's a decision you got to make. Come on, you're here today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to pull you forward. Every eye closed in this place. You're here today. You say, Ryan, I would like to start a journey with God. I don't know what that means. I don't know even what that looks like. But I think I want to start a journey today to give my life to Jesus and begin to experience the things that God has for me. If that's you today, come on, on the count of three, I want you to place your hand real high and then put it right back down. On the count of three, one. Come on, lift it high. One, two, three. Come on, put your hand in the air this morning. Come on. Put your hand real high today. Come on, anybody else? Anybody else today? Come on, there's two, two hands lifted. Come on, anybody else? Come on, put your hand high today. Come on. 
the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, church, we're going to pray right now. And I want you to repeat after me. Come on, everyone in the room, pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus. Come on, real loud. Dear Lord Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus. I come to you today. I come to you today. In need of you. In need of you. I want to give my life to you. I want to give my life. I acknowledge I need you. I'm lost without you. I'm lost without you. And I want you to be in my life. I want you to be in my life. Today. I make a commitment that I want to follow after you. Forgive me of all my sin. Wash me whiter than snow. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Come on, everybody said? Come on, let's put our hands together for these people this morning. Two people gave their lives to the Lord. Come on, let's just sing this song real quick. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.